So a few days ago, I reached out to Andre Lynch because I saw an amazing Twitter thread by him where he pointed out that there is a very interesting trend which lives very much at the opposite end of the spectrum of the metaverse, which is what everyone is talking about right now. We also talk about, for example, living in nature with friends, which is obviously related, but also about Andrew's side project ideas. And he has many, many very cool ones. For example, one is called Zero to Wine. He will also talk about his failed attempt to build a clone, basically, of Farnham Street. And another one called Primal Weekend, which I honestly believe has a lot of potential. So, yeah, I think the conversation was great. I had a lot of fun. Please enjoy. I don't know whether it's just because I haven't, like, surrendered to the algorithm and just gone down the route of, like, you know, quote tweeting, like, popular accounts and trying to dunk on them and then follow that up with, like, a 10-part thread about, like, how to get rich. I haven't done exactly. that yet. Maybe I should and, like, <laughs> drive a lot of followers, but... Yeah, it's funny. It's exactly what I was thinking about today because, yeah, it's, it definitely got more popular, like when Twitter changed the algorithm or gave, yeah, like changed the sorting. And now you see a lot more algorithm hacking going on, which I wouldn't call a positive development, but it's working. And yeah, don't hate the player, hate the game, right? And there, there is now this, this one playbook that everyone seems to be using, right? And I, the first guy who shared it was Nick Huber. And the idea is that you just look at um, the stuff that went viral a few months ago and then just post the exact same thing again on the, your account with a little spin, right? That's the whole thing. And why you see the same stuff over and over again from um, different people and it's working, right? It's, it's clearly working. Like Julian Shapiro writes a thread on 10 things. So you were told that are wrong or something like that. And he gets 10,000 likes and a few months later, Several people are doing it and they are getting a thousand likes each. And yeah, it's working. Right, right. Anyway, so the, the reason why I reached out was one thread of yours in particular, right? Do you remember the one? It was uh, there. There are two big trends I keep seeing at the moment. Web3, crypto, metaverse, and the exact opposite, right? People wanting to get away from screens and experience real worlds, outdoors, natural sunlight, in-person type things. So that's a, a really cool observation because obviously... I've seen these two trends, right? But they are, you're totally right. They live at kind of at the opposite end of the spectrum, which is a very interesting observation. And you, you, you gave many cool examples in the, in the thread. Yeah, I think I'll start by saying like, I haven't particularly gone deep down the kind of Web3 crypto rabbit hole. Like my personal, like, is, I have no idea exactly how, like how that's going to come about or what use cases there are, but like, there's that much talent and energy and frankly money like pouring into developing things in that space that I, I feel like it can't help but become something but who knows exactly what that something is so what I'm like really interested by is reaction to that and I wouldn't say it's necessarily exactly like a reaction to like web3 or crypto but like a reaction to more and more life becoming digital in general and this is something that's like been massively accelerated by the COVID pandemic where vast numbers of us are spending like all day on Zoom meetings, working remotely, all these kind of things, and our, our lives are ruled by the screens. I saw um, like one, actually one funny viral tweet that I might retweet with my own little spin on it, is someone said like, oh, I can't, can't wait to get a break from staring at the medium screen by going over to the sofa and staring at the big screen and the little screen at the same time, which is kind of like how we all lived our lives for the past 18 months or so. So yeah, this, this kind of trend of like people wanting to get away from screen, put aside the part of their digital life and move to like towards more 
in-person real experiences i think is more of a like reaction to the past kind of 10 15 years or so like the growth of social media so people spending more and more time online literally staring at screens scrolling on twitter and reddit and instagram and tiktok um, and us all basically an awful lot of us and a growing number like having desk bound jobs like i know personally i have a desk job where i do nothing but stare at a screen like, all day basically aside from in-person meetings and so i think what you're seeing is um a move yeah a move away from that and people wanting to kind of live more real lives so there's a, there's a bunch of examples of this one of the things that caught my eye is that i'm recently trying to get back into or say back into trying to get into for the first time woodworking because i feel like it's like a really it's a very fulfilling hobby so you you see something you build it with your own hands and you know before you had uh, a pile of planks of wood and some glue and some clamps and then when it's done you have a like a finished piece of furniture and you have this like concrete real example of your own competency and your own abilities and your own time and effort that you've put into it that you can touch and feel and see you know in in real space i kind of got that idea from a book i read a few years ago called i think in the us it's published as shop crafters Soulcraft. in the uk and europe i think it's called like the case for working with your hands but it's a, a book written by a guy who used to run um, like a political think tank in washington dc and you know his day was spent doing think tanky type things meeting lobbying writing reports giving speeches in meetings all that kind of stuff uh, and he gave it up to become a, a motorcycle mechanic so he ran a motorbike repair shop just outside of DC. And he made the great point that like at the end of a day, working in a think tank, like you don't really know what you've done or what you've accomplished. There's nothing there to, to show what you've done for the day. Whereas when he was working as a motorbike mechanic at the start of the day, like on one side of the shop, he had a pile of rust motorbikes that don't work. And at the end of the day, there's a pile on the other side of the shop, of like clean, gleaming, all do work. And literally you can turn the switch, and the engine hits and it, and it works. And that's, visible like visceral tangible proof of the, the impact you've had on the world so that kind of thing is incredibly interesting to me so that's one of the reasons i took up woodwork i know like other similar hobbies have had a bit of a renaissance over the past few years like woodworking for example has had a massive um, growth among millennials over the past kind of five or ten years precisely because of this this thing that i'm talking about i know like gardening and knitting any type of crafty hobby like that has had um like a real renaissance during the pandemic even things like uh, cooking or making cocktails, things like that, but where you can take like a set of raw ingredients or, you know, a blank garden bed or some planks of wood and you can turn it into something that you can touch and feel and show that you've really done. All these hobbies are really, really coming back strong. It's really, really interesting to me. Definitely. Uh, definitely also interesting from a business um, perspective, obviously, right? There, there are um, lots of opportunities that open up, not um, like while everyone is talking about the metaverse, you, you, got, you got lots of opportunities at the exact opposite end of the spectrum. But yeah, your, your story about woodworking just reminded me of, do you know Daniel? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. He also, he also, he also, he's like also a Twitter personality, let's call it. And he had a job at Amazon, right? And then became a Twitter influencer, let's say. And now, yeah, then he also got into woodworking and now he's selling like little cardboards or something that he made himself. And he's not making a lot of money, but yeah, he's really just doing it for, for, the, for, the, for the pleasure it brings him. Right, exactly. And I think like a lot of this, or some of this at least seems to be, to me, it's like um, a kind of extension of the like paleo ancestral health diet movement. So see, that was all that started gaining real, real traction in the kind of 
mid 2000s to like 2005, six, seven, that started to become like a mainstream thing and has you know continued into the mainstream since. And that's taking the idea of living as our ancestors did from the point of view of like health and fitness. So, you know, eating lots of meat and vegetables, taking a lot of long walks, and then doing like, you know, short bouts of intense exercise to like summer, but like trying to um, eat and train as a like a caveman, for want of a better word. Would. And I think some of these trends are kind of taking that same principle of like what's within our uh, kind of ancestral history and genetic code, what other or how else can we apply that to other arenas of life whether that's like how much sunlight we get or how we sleep or how we interact with other people the, the kind of ways we fill our days so for example like if you imagine like a man and woman 50,000 years ago or 100,000 years ago wouldn't have spent 16 hours a day indoors awake and then slept indoors for the other eight hours of the day there'd be a huge amount of natural sunlight they would probably rise with the sun and then like kind of wind down the day and go to bed when it gets dark they wouldn't stay up all night you know playing call of duty on an xbox spend time like a lot of time around close-knit groups of people so like their immediate tribe of 5 10 15 20 people and you'd have that like close familial bond with all of those people it's those kind of things that we're trying to i see more and more people trying to apply in their day-to-day lives as well so it determines like whether you you know build an outdoor office or an office that gets a huge amount of natural sunlight whether you you know try and live closer to friends or family or form you know i've seen a bunch of people who are julian shapiro is one of these trying to build like a ranch type community outside a big city where you can invite not just your own immediate family immediate families of five six seven close friends as well kind of form a small community there but those kind of trends I yeah I see that as kind of an extension of that paleo movement but applying the principles of paleo to other areas of life to see where we can really optimize them yeah that that framing makes makes perfect sense and like it's almost a meme at this point that people <laughs> like wanting uh, to live in nature with friends and um, it's surprisingly hard to pull off I think I'm not aware yeah. of many if any one actually succeeded because one example you have in your thread is Nat Elias, right? He, he also had another tweet because it's kind of funny. He's famous for a Rome course, for a note-taking course with this new, at that time, new note-taking tool called Rome Research. And now he, yeah, he just tweeted, I went back to, to just doing it by hand on paper, right. like this old school old school system with just little cards and yeah, <laughs> very manual. And he actually a while back tried to do something similar here, right? Um, he tried to build a creator town or something like that was yeah. the idea, yeah, yeah. but it failed and yeah, for different reasons. And I think he tried to do it in a, in a bit different way where he, the idea was to transform an already existing part of a city or something like that and i actually can't remember why it failed but yeah it turns out it's actually hard to, yeah, to pull I this think, off i think for him it ended up being like because you're right he was trying to like take an existing town outside i think somewhere outside of austin or maybe somewhere yeah. outside of like a major us city and develop enough that it would like make it attractive to creator economy solopreneur type people while also being like a nice walkable community-focused kind of small town or city. It sounds like incredibly time-consuming and capital-intensive. Like, it's, it's a phenomenal idea. I know, do you know Mr. Money Mustache, like the finance author? Yeah. So he had a post a couple of years ago about a town that he was thinking of creating or about help, no, help design the concept of it with some, like, urban architects. 
and it was called like Cycloville or something. It was supposed to be like this, you know, the most walkable and cyclable city in North America. Like if you can imagine taking somewhere like Amsterdam, plopping it down in the middle of Colorado. That's broadly what he was trying to do. And then he said, you know, there'll be 50,000 people here and it'll be this incredible place that you can walk, you know, across in 15 minutes and we'll get major uh, companies involved and all this kind of stuff. And he got a huge amount of press for it and it got an awful lot of attention because it's something people really, really wanted. And then he said, but I'm not going to do it because it would cost a few billion dollars and take 15 and 20 years unless I don't want to do that. That's too long and it's too much money. Like even if you can raise all the money from outside, right? It's just a, it's incredibly long project to try and do. It's a wonderful vision. I'm sure some people will be able to do it at some point, but it's just, it's just such a, an uphill battle to go through, you know, acquiring property, developing it, zoning laws, attracting investment, attracting the right kind of residents. Like that's a that's a multi-decade project you're talking about. A phenomenal vision, but I think like more interesting is thinking about like what are the small local ways that we can do that. So for example, like I don't have any plans to move in with you know seven of my closest friends and all live on a ranch somewhere, but I can live, you know, a five minute walk from a couple of family members, make sure that we see them on a regular basis. You can do things like co-working clubs and co-working spaces where you get together regularly with the same bunch of people and have, you know, things like this, brainstorming meetings and you can help each other out and do, you know, do favors for each other. You can, you can like take smaller steps towards that without trying to do the, the kind of big top-down vision of like building a whole new city or a, a ranch commune or something like that. Yeah, totally. And I, I think another very cool way of like doing this in a small way is like little retreats right where you're basically doing the same thing but just for months or maybe just two weeks and you basically just rent yeah a cool property and then live there in nature with your friends but not like all year round and obviously okay. it's much easier because yeah it's it's hard to get people to commit to something longer and as someone who's doing this actually is justin morris if you know him and yep. he's doing it regularly. I'm just trying to look it up. Yeah, 16 people, three homes on on some kind of property. And it, it sounded amazing. Two months, actually. So that's pretty cool. A pretty cool yeah. example. And particularly if like, because I think a, a lot of the like resistance around this or even the difficulty comes when people have, you know, jobs that tie them to a certain location. Yeah. But with the rise, you know, the rise of remote working to a certain degree is a double-edged sword, right? So you take away the any social aspect and in-person aspect of, you know, a normal office job and you're doing it all remotely, but does the remote work give you enough freedom that you can do something like what Justin and his friends have done? It's a, that's a tough call. And definitely, I mean, if, if you can, if you can help people make this happen, I, I guess that that could be interesting. Right. And I mean, if maybe, maybe, maybe a big problem could be that people don't have this kind of group of friends right. who they could do it with. So if you can be the matchmaker or something that also reminds me of like this, this idea of summer camps for adults, that's, that's right. coming up. And it, yeah, it also sounds fun, right? It's uh, just this idea from, from childhood where you've spent two weeks doing nothing but playing volleyball or something, <laughs> having campfires, and they are now doing it for adults. It's actually a good business. And, and, and I've seen a few times. Yeah, 100%. Another, like a good similar um, business I've seen in this vein is you had a creator cabins. So it's similar to the idea of the creator town. So the creator town is a, is a wonderful idea from Natalie and where you have creator economy solopreneur type people all move to this really nice city for for life that's a very very small much more achievable version of that is 
taking small like rural properties that you can you can buy or even build if you can get the land and build them in a nice kind of remote setting but with all the kind of luxury amenities you want from like a really nice airbnb or something and then you can just host events there every week or every month or you can have you know retreats there you can just like rent it out as a short-term rental but you could do that themed around like a curated list of people who can come so you're only allowed to come if you're e-commerce solopreneur you're only only allowed to come if you have at least you know 10,000 twitter followers or a sub stack that makes you know five grand a month or something curate it around a particular type of people so that people get to go out in the country and spend like say a week or two weeks or something with a group of similar people kick ideas around get some work done meet some cool people that kind of thing so those, that's like a really nice idea another idea is something like that but it's like a cabin in the woods where they literally take your phone off you as you go in so this one i found is called unplugged but it's called digital detox app off-grid cabins so i don't know exactly how they do this but the promise is that look you, you give us your phone when you arrive anything that's ultra urgent or people really really need to get in touch with you we will have a way of getting in touch with you whether they have like a check-in desk and someone there like answers all the phones and decides whether it's urgent and then like calls you on a cb radio or something i don't know i'm sure there's a way around it but something where you can almost like force people to give up their phone for five days or even just a weekend or something and you live this like off-grid cabin life at the very least for like a few days just so you can um, get a chance to like recharge another like very similarly related is this idea of like dopamine fasts that i've heard uh, a bit recently so Andrew Wilkinson, the guy who runs Tiny, they are essentially like a holding company that like buys small internet businesses or actually not so small internet businesses now. They're doing pretty well. So he had this, he posted this really viral Twitter thread a few weeks ago about going on a dopamine fast where he basically did this and went and lived in a log cabin in the woods with his family for the summer, I don't know, two or three months. Didn't look at any social media, barely answered any emails, barely answered any phone calls, just like and he was able to do that because he's worth multi-millions of dollars, right? Not all of us have that luxury. But whether there's like dopamine fast as a service, this like unplugged cabin is very, very similar. So maybe there's, there's something there that could be an interesting one. And the other thing is this idea of like agritourism and like, okay, I don't want to like go and build a ranch in the middle of Texas and try and move there because that costs a load of money and takes ages. But like, could I go and stay with someone who does have a ranch and they could like, teach me how to you know feed the cows or milk the cows how to like round them up on the back of a horse he's got a bit of a fence that needs putting in so he teaches me how to like put the fence in and nail it together and then cook on an open fire afterwards but those kind of vacation ideas like running that kind of you know life on a ranch as a service could be quite i think there are a number of companies that do this already i i I think like 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 on these, yeah, you can go for like on these small farms in the Alps. I know that and well, you can yeah. just uh, work work there, like help them and you're not paid. You're, maybe you're even paying <laughs> for the <laughs> for the privilege of, of working there. But yeah, it's, it's it's been around for a while and it's definitely working. For sure. And then like the other thing I'm seeing is just massive traction on YouTube and other social media for anyone doing these kind of like interesting hobbies. So like I picked a few out. One that um, I know that's like close to my heart is a friend of mine called Kevin Espiritu, who runs a blog called Epic Garden. So he started it probably in 2013 or 2014. And he basically like had a small back garden and he wanted to figure out like how to do um, like a hydroponic system and get that to really work and be good. And he kind of managed it and he found it really interesting and like documented the whole process and started writing about it on his blog. 
and that got a little bit of traffic so we started doing some and that went really well and he started tiktok that's gone really well as well i'm just gonna like look it up but he, i know he's got multi-millions of followers on both youtube and tiktok it's pretty incredible but he basically turned this like gardening blog um into what is now a pretty massive business he has like a team of at least like 10 or 12 people that work for him yeah so they have one and a half million subscribers on youtube which isn't bad for like a gardening channel and he has all these um videos here like how to grow ginger in containers how to prune tomatoes for maximum yield how to prune basil so it grows forever building a chicken orchard all these you know propagating three types of pothos via water coatings i don't even know what that is but it's got like a million views just absolutely smashes it you can easily like yeah and then you can just pivot that into we can sell merch we can sell like plants and seeds and tools and all these kind of things you can just like make a, a whole other business line off it and I've seen the same in like woodworking niches. I've seen a, a guy who like builds log cabins out in the out in the Canadian wilderness, and like his YouTube channel has three or four million subscribers. And he just sells, he makes money selling like he calls himself like self reliance or something like my self reliance. So he sells like branded T-shirts and things like that, which may be like a fairly common like monetization path for a YouTuber, but. There's lots of at least demand for this type of content. So if you have the ability to do any of it yourself, you can turn it into a, a fairly popular YouTube channel. Yeah, Epic Gardening has another 1.1 million followers on TikTok as well. And I think about half a million followers on Instagram. Wow, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. It's, right. it's, it's very hard to grow. So a million there is incredible. That's really, really cool. So another thing I wanted to talk to you about is side project ideas. And I saw um, that you posted a few and I thought they were pretty good. So <laughs> I, I just wanted to hear a bit more your thoughts on it because I also like that you explained um, something that happens to me a lot where you have an idea and you get very excited. Oh, that's clever. Then you buy the domain or oh, it's, it's available. And of course you buy the domain and then maybe you start working on it a little bit, but yeah, you never, you never publish it because you run out of steam. And as you think more about it, there is product founder frit or whatever, right? It's actually not, it, 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 it might be a good idea, but just not for you, right? And yeah. uh, so the first one you, you mentioned was from manger to me.com, right? Yeah, so that was, that was going to be essentially probably like a worse version of like the Farnham Street blog. I, I found Farnham Street in, I don't know, like 2013 or 14, maybe a little bit earlier. I can't remember exactly when, but like, I probably have the same reaction as like a lot of mid 20 something men who spend a lot of time on the internet do when they found Farnham Street, which is like, oh wow, this guy just spends like all day reading interesting books and then like writing about them on his blog. And then he like has a newsletter and somehow like huge numbers of like Wall Street people want to read this and like get coaching from him or something. And he sells these courses and like has this paid community. Like, This sounds pretty awesome. Like I like reading interesting books and I like writing about them, which like both of those are true, but I can't, I can't do it to the the kind of level of time commitment and like longevity that someone like Shane Parrish at Farnham Street has. He's just like, he's a perfect embodiment of this idea that like to do something like fantastic, all you have to do is do something that's like very good for 10 years without skipping a day and then at the end of that you'll have like something fantastic like Farnham Street I just like real, realized fairly quickly I'd need the time nor the energy or the dedication to do it 
even nearly as well as he could. And all it would have been is like a cheap ripoff of Farnham Street, probably. Yeah, you you wrote about that recently, right? You wrote, everyone want to be packy, but no one want to write uh, long-ass posts, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's the problem. It, it, it seems like the dream until you actually try to do it yourself. <laughs> And writing high-quality content on a regular basis is very, very tough. And it's, it's also something you... It's very tough to outsource also. Uh, like quality writers, it's very, very hard to find. Right. The, on that, uh, like, just a side note on that is that, like, I am, like, quite a good writer. I'm probably a better writer than, like, 80% of people, mostly because most people are never... So that's not to, like, big myself up or anything. But I've done some... I started, like, a small copywriting agency um, when I was, like, between jobs a few years ago because I thought, you know, like, I like writing and I'm quite good at it. Like, why don't I just get paid to do it? And within about three weeks, I realized, like, I absolutely hate this. I quite enjoy writing what I want, like, three or four times a year to put it on my own personal blog. I hate someone saying, I need this about me page. Here are, like, 10 things about me. Make it sound good. Uh, and I need it by 5 p.m. Thursday. Well, that was awful. It was just, like, not a fun experience whatsoever. And it was a great example of, like, trying to turn a hobby into a like lucrative career, just going very, very wrong. Yeah, I, I, I ran into a similar issue with my, and one of my projects, um, opportunities actually, um, because it started as a fun hobby, right? Um, it was a Substack and used it actually called Product Ideas. And then it merged. I decided to join forces with a few other guys and it became a business, right? And it's, it's tough, especially if you have like the subscription model, people pay, are, pay, are paying per month. So they expect something every month, every week. And yeah, it's, 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 it's very tough, but I think I found a solution and the solution okay. is called lifetime deal, lifetime um, payment, because yeah, I recently switched from a subscription model to a one-time payment model. And my thinking is that I'm very, very confident that like over the lifetime of this project and people will get their money's worth, no doubt about it. But at the same time, I'm not forced to churn out content. I can just publish stuff when I feel inspired. And I think like um, this way, both, both sides benefit like me as a, as a writer, but also the readers because they get better stuff and obviously are not forced to pay every month and make a decision or whatever. So <laughs> that's my little solution to this problem. Yeah, that's a nice idea. How do you deal with like, because presumably that like lifetime price has to be relatively high to make it like worth your while. So is that, um, like, is that quite a big like hurdle for someone to jump over to initially pay without reading much before? It's this one issue, right? Because everything below $100 is where you want to be because it's, okay. it's, it's an impulse buy. So as soon as you move above this threshold, like conversion rate is drops off dramatically. So uh, I actually have a pretty low price, which is below 100 currently for this exact reason. It's working very well. And like I had this initial fear that if I do this, then I, I get a very big bump at the beginning and then it's over, right? Because everyone just upgrades their account once and that's it. But it's totally not true. Like, obviously I don't have like MRR, right? I don't have recurring revenue in that sense, but it's like the, the money that's coming in per month and it's running for a few months right now. So it's not a one-time thing. I'm very I'm confident that this is sustainable. It's three or four times higher than it was before with, with the subscription model. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it was a great decision. And I actually got the idea from, from Peter Levels, who's running Nomadless, right? And he's, he also switched to this one. 
payment model. I noticed it. He previously had like a subscription model and then switched to the one-time payment. And this is where I thought, okay, I should give it a try. If it's sustainable for him, maybe it's, it, it is also for me. And yeah, so far <laughs> it seems great. So the next side project idea you had was romanlegion.com. Yeah, so you mentioned that, I know we touched on it earlier, but like Rome Research, the kind of note-taking app, although I think it thinks of itself a bit grander than that, but I think it was a note-taking app that launched, I don't know, 20, late 2018, 2019, and suddenly got hugely, like you mentioned, like Nat Eliasson did a course on it that made, I don't know, north of half a million dollars, I think, which is it still seems like crazy to me, but as a perfect embodiment of like some tweet I saw the other day that was like, we're all just competing to like hit the right keys on our computer in the right order. And if you do it for long enough, you can buy it. And that's like literally exactly what he did with like a couple of blog posts and then um, an online course. Like good for him. So yeah, I kind of noticed like research, this note taking out was hugely, became hugely popular very, very quickly. And not just popular, but like people who used it, ardent fans of it. It was almost like a conversion to a religion people like huge fanatics of this note-taking app and saying how it changed their lives and transformed the productivity and all this kind of stuff and i noticed that like a lot of the information about it was like on twitter threads and in reddit and kind of disparate and all over them and i was thinking like there might be a good there's probably a good business here if you can kind of aggregate all that traffic and become like the one site that's like the authority on rome research and what's going on in the community and tips and tricks and guides and plans and all that kind of stuff and then I was just trying to think of like funny puns and find a domain name that was available. So Roman Legion, but Roman O-A-M-A-N was available for whatever the minimum domain price, like $8 a year or something. Um, so I grabbed it. And then about, I don't know, nine days later, I personally like stopped using Rome Research because I thought it was kind of annoying and laggy and useless. At that point, like all of my motivation for running that site went out the window like it would have been very like disingenuous and just incredibly hard work to try and make a content site on like an app and a piece of software that i don't care about and don't use there are still a couple of good sites that basically do this some people actually pulled it off right yeah yeah there was another one that was i can't find it. i'm trying to find it through google now oh rome brain here's a good one rometips.com but there's a, a bunch that that kind of yeah rome romebrain.com was one i was thinking of and there's rometips.com there's a rome slack group you know there's all these kind of things so there is like a good ecosystem around it and some other people have created great sites again i was completely missing the product founder fit again yeah and uh, what's i just visited rome stack and he actually rebranded it's now think stack and I, I don't know if you know if you if you saw the drama <laughs> around that. Yeah, you know the story. Everyone Ramses. He actually he's the guy who runs Rome Stack. And obviously with a project like this, he was one of the big promoters of Rome. But then he got banned from the Reddit, from the Rome yeah, subreddit yeah. for for just asking a trivial question. Really, yeah, and then he got upset rightfully. And obviously, yeah. this is not the only thing, but this is what like tipped it over for him. And yeah, many people got unhappy with Rome because there's no development and all kind of not so great stories. Like like they they lost all of their developers, <laughs> like all of their developers churned within a few months, and they seem to have got got um, distracted by buying a massive 
farm or something like that in the middle of nowhere right, in right. Ohio. So anyway, yeah, um, they were trying to build a ranch with a community in the middle of nowhere while also trying to have like a massively scaling startup at the same time. Anyway, like the, the next idea was also uh, very clever. I think you had like zero to wine.com, right? Yeah. So I actually, I still own this domain because I rebought a couple of weeks ago because I still think this is a really good idea. Um, oh, you, you were able to rebuy it for like the, 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 the $8 price or did someone yeah. say, oh, that's no, crazy. Yeah, Usually yeah. it doesn't work. <laughs> right. So yeah, this so this came about um, because in 2015, actually this is when I worked with from Epic Gardening. So we were working for a company. We we're both out in Austin, Texas, and our boss at the time actually Tucker Max, who's the author entrepreneur guy. So we we're working for his company, Scribe, and Tucker's a huge food and wine guy. And there were three of us, like me, Zach, and Kevin, who were hanging out with him, and we were all like complete wine novices. So Tucker was like, "Okay, I'm gonna like try and teach you guys a little bit about wine." So like go over there and come back in like 20 minutes. And then we came back and he had like big rows of three glasses each in front of us, all of like Cab Sauvignon. And he said, right, what I've got here for each of you is like a good $10 bottle of wine, like a bad $50 bottle of wine, and then like a good $200 bottle of wine. But they're just all in these glasses that look identical. And you have to like try and taste them and tell me which one you think is which. So we like had a little bit of a chat and tried to figure it out and eventually got, I think, like close to the answer. And it was like, yeah, so what it is, is like this wine tastes nice, but it's quite simple. It just has this one taste, like you gulp it and it tastes like that and it's nice. That's the good $10 bottle. This bottle has like a couple of different flavors and a few different things going on, but like they're both kind of shitty. That's the like bad $50 bottle of wine. And then like the good bottle of wine that was also expensive had all these like complex things. So like when you smelt it, you got one flavor, so that's called the nose. And then like when you drink it, I can't remember what that bit's called. But had one particular taste, and then after you swallowed it, you got this other taste, which is like the, and these are all like brand new terms to me. And I was like, oh my god, this is amazing! As like a complete wine novice, and that was about the same time that the book like Zero to One by Peter Thiel had come out, where he talks about like going from no idea at all to like having product market fit. And I kind of thought it was just like a nice little pun, so like Zero to Wine, where you could take someone from knowing absolutely nothing about wine. I know the difference between a Pinot Noir and a Malbec and a Cabernet Sauvignon. And I can kind of order a bottle in a restaurant without looking like an idiot. So like a little online course to teach people how to do that. I thought that was quite a nice idea. Because there are yeah. a ton of like wine sites out there and wine info. It's just like, it's very overwhelming. Like there's a lot that gets thrown at you. So it'd be quite nice to like simplify it down a little bit. Yeah, I love the idea. And it actually reminded me that um, when I just uh, moved recently, I had to, to throw away or give away most of my books. And one of the books I had then remember it was one called The Bluffer's Guide to Wine, I think. And it's, <laughs> it's, it's a very long similar lines, which is it's a primer, which just gives you in a very short amount of time the basic information. So you can like, like bluff your way or <laughs> at least understand yeah. a, a little bit of what's going on. And when people are talking about wine so yeah like a digital version of that could totally make sense like a little course and you maybe could just read that book and get yeah. the most the most interesting nuggets out there and that that totally could work and i think you can do the same thing with many other niches right watches right. cars i don't know yeah a, a lot of yachts <laughs> i don't know what yeah, else uh, is out there that's that's really fascinating. Also perfume, obviously, right? It's another right. big one. Really cool. 
really cool yeah, idea and also funny that you that you bought it again so you you're now planning to do something with it or uh, you <laughs> maybe now that i think about maybe. it like so where where we live now there's like quite a nice wine shop like just around the corner so maybe i could have a chat with them about like shooting some video or getting some content in for them. or maybe i could just like like you said do like a simple beta version myself just taking like info out of a couple of like intro wine books and just make it like super accessible and super clear to sort Yeah, and you can maybe also like jump on the cohort, cohort space group hype train. So yeah, just it could be also fun. Like you get a little box with these different wines and they taste it virtually via Zoom. Um, and you can also obviously then justify a higher price point because people are getting something physical, not just videos. And Yeah, that could be cool. I saw, um, I saw a company a few years ago, and, uh, a few years ago, rather, almost did the opposite of this so that they were trying to take all of the knowledge out of it. So they were saying like, look, you don't need to know like what grape is in this or what vintage, but just, they had like six different bottles of wine and the labels were just like, the wine was called, this wine goes with chicken. And then the other one was called, this wine goes with lamb. And the other one was like, this wine goes with pork. So they just had like six or seven different bottles just to make it super simple. Like if you're having a, a steak tonight, like buy this wine. If you're having a, a chili, buy this wine. If you're eating salmon, buy this wine. Just to make it like really, really simple for you. I always thought that was quite a nice idea. I don't think yeah. it like took off that much. But so the the the, the next idea you had is tiny tinytitans.biz. The one that I think I'm like most likely to do. But essentially like and we've alluded to like a few of these people already in this call. People like Andrew Wilkinson or Nat Elias and Justin Mares. Uh, and there's a, a huge uh, community of this kind of small business type of people on Twitter. People like Nick Huber as well is a great example. So people who like deliberately work for small businesses, buy, acquire small businesses, like mash them together. Um, there's a like small but growing community of people and there's not that much content that's serving them at the moment. So there's um, a few that I can think of. There's a couple of podcasts. So there's one called Owned and Operated by these guys, John Wilson and Brandon Nero, who essentially like run a small plumbing business in Akron, Ohio. And every like six or 12 months, they're like buying another local plumbing business and like bolting them on to like growing for acquisition and like podcasting about it through the whole journey. It's really interesting. There's one called uh, Acquisitions Anonymous by uh, a few guys, uh, Michael Girdley, Bill D'Alessandro and uh, Mills Snell, who are all like small business owners and operators who bring on guests to talk about potential acquisitions. So they look at like a deal and a, a company that's for sale and whether they would want to buy it or not what's good about it, what you need to think about if you were going to buy it, how you might grow it, that kind of thing. Uh, and then there's another one called Think Like Catherine, where he interviews people who do that, people who buy and run small businesses. And this kind of uh, search fund entrepreneurship through acquisition community is small but growing. And so I thought Tiny Titans was quite a nice name for the people who are like big names in the small business space, if that makes sense. So my idea was like a podcast to interview and chat to those kind of people share resources like share five ways to hire plumbing technicians how to manage your annual bonus scheme when do you need to hire a cfo all those kind of topics that like small but growing companies might need to know about and, and particularly here i think there's there's a lot of this kind of, or there's some of this kind of content most of it is us focused so there's a bit of a gap for like uk the rest of europe and south america australia Asia, like all, all of that kind of international market, anything that's not North America seems a bit underserved at the moment. 
So I think there's a little bit of a niche there. So there's potentially like a, a few people I know in the UK that I could get on to interview on a podcast that wouldn't have been on other people's podcasts and might be able to provide a slightly different perspective. Yeah, I love that. It's it's a bit what it reminds me a bit of, of is, of course, like Nick Huber's brand with right. uh, the whole boring businesses kind of stuff, right? Yeah. That's definitely along <laughs> similar lines. And But yeah, totally agree that there's, there's in fact, when it comes to most podcasts, a very they're very much focused on the US and there's not too much uh, good stuff based on the for the rest of the world obviously Europe for us but yeah also the rest Africa Asia whatever I don't know it seems at least from 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 where <laughs> coming from there's not too much that's that yeah it definitely a cool cool idea but again I think it's great that doing it as a podcast because again if you're trying to do that as a newsletter or content it's it's very time confusing and actually a friend of mine Wes Kimball try to try to start a newsletter um where he profiled like it, it's called solo capitalist.co and where he tried to yeah profile solo capitalists right people online creators and right. i think he 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 stopped publishing after four issues which is sad because it was amazing but it's very kind time confusing and right. a podcast is is much easier i think because you you're just having a conversation it's just an hour and a little bit of editing so yeah, I really like that idea as well. And the last one is primalweekend.com. And obviously it's what we already talked about, I guess. Yeah, exactly. So like, I guess primal is a kind of another word that gets thrown about, like it's kind of a synonym for paleo, but like harking back to like ancestral health kind of thing, the caveman diet, how would people have lived, you know, 100,000 or 200,000 years ago? So like my idea for this is like, I think there's like a few different ways you could take this. So one idea would just people who would like trying to get into primal living or like ancestral health. It's kind of like a bit overwhelming to start with. So what if you could do like a kind of weekend retreat that's just like we give you all the basics here. So like we cook you, you know, breakfast, lunch and dinner that are all completely paleo. We do a couple of workouts with you that are very like paleo focused so like a bit of sprinting and then some resting, a bit of weightlifting and some like slow gentle cardio rather than like a typical gym workout that you might do it's more like like more like a crossfit class but not necessarily crossfit because there are its own problems with that and then you know you spend a lot of time outdoors sat around an open fire cooking and chatting with people and you know generally having a good time probably no phones there as well so you could do something like that um, and call it like primal weekend the other thing would be similar but it's more of like an extreme kind of fitness event so uh, and i've seen a couple of people do these but Essentially, imagine if like a Spartan race or something or a Tough Mudder was an entire weekend long. And so it wasn't just like a five or a 10K, but like, you know, three events a day, like morning, noon and night. And in between you had rest time and meals where, again, you'd like cook over an open fire, but you'd have to like build your own shelter in between to like sleep in overnight. And then like the first event of the second day might be like a big open water swim. And then you'd have to build your fire to like dry off again and get warm before you go off and like climb a mountain, something like that. Like a kind of very extreme weekend, almost like a slightly like a kind of survivalist type weekend, but maybe with like a little bit more structure. And like we're not expecting you to kill your own food. And it's not one of these like crazy urban escape and evasion type things where you get like locked in the boot of a car and you have to, you know, lock handcuffs and get out or anything like that. It's just like, hard physical work and then sleeping outdoors and eating food that's been cooked over a fire so you do that but like for a weekend event and you would put some kind of my, my initial idea was that you'd put some kind of like 
restrictions and limitations on who can go. So that like doing it and having done it becomes like quite a status thing. And so it's something that like, you know, tech CEOs and hedge fund guys would like want to say that they've done because it'd be like an incredibly intense, hard weekend. And like one of the marketing gimmicks would be that like, you know, when you finish Tough Mudder or a Spartan race or anything like that, you got like a medal and a t-shirt and they're like, yeah, you did it. And on this, there is no medal. There is no t-shirt. You get nothing for having done it other than you get to tell people that you've done it, which I guess potentially, yeah, potentially means that anyone could say that they've done it. So I wanted to think about that a little bit. But yeah, essentially there's no like- yeah, You could, you could issue an F NFT for anyone. NF like yeah, we've come full circle with Beckett. Okay, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately I got to run. But this was, this was amazing. And I actually, like I have a long list of stuff I wanted to talk to you about. So maybe we can do it another time oh, because yeah. this, was, this was really great and really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, more than happy to chat again, man. Thanks for having me on, really appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah, speak soon. Bye-bye.